They've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. I told you we were coming right back. My faithful bride, Mary Danielle, welcome to the Bible with the Barbers. Here we are. Welcome, everyone. Good to be with you again. So we'll have the uh, gospel reading for the day, which is from Matthew chapter 9, Mm -hmm. verses 32 through 38. Oh, go right ahead. Okay. Do the honors. So this is, this is the daily reading. We're in the 14th week of what's called Ordinary Time. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reading is from the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 9, verses 32 through 38. A demoniac who could not speak was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the mute man spoke. Mm. The crowds were amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisee says, The Pharisees said, excuse me, (laughs) he drives out demons by the prince of demons. Jesus went around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and curing every disease and illness. At the sight of the crowds, his heart was moved for pity for them because they were troubled and abandoned like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the laborers are few. So ask the master of the harvest to send out laborers for his harvest. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So we have here the, um, the gospel according to Matthew. And the first thing that happens in this gospel is Jesus drives out a demoniac. And the people are amazed. Well, why are the people amazed? I mean, the Jews had the power of exorcism, but it was, it was reserved to the priesthood. But whenever a priest or a prophet exercised anyone, it was always done in the name of the Lord. It's like when David went up against Goliath. Yes. David doesn't go up against Goliath in his own name. He says, I come against you in the name of the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, whom you have blasphemed. So it was always in the Lord's name. Jesus is casting out demons by his own power. He's casting out demons without calling on the name of the Lord, which essentially is saying to everybody there, I am the Lord. (laughs) I don't need to call on another because it is I who cast out the demons. Mm -hmm. And of course, the Pharisees not wanting to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and couldn't quite, you know, that God would become incarnate. This is a scandal, by the way. It was a scandal for them. It's a scandal for us. Mm -hmm. Still, there are many people who don't want to believe that God really became incarnate. No, he did. He really did. He really took to himself a human nature. And so the Pharisees don't want to accept that it's, it's really by the power of God. So they're, they're attributing the good that Jesus is doing to the devil. And this is, a, by the way, a temptation for any of us, especially if we're jealous or angry with somebody. Any good they did, man, we, we know their motives. We know what they're up to. We know what they're... And it's like, you know what? No good can be done without God's help. I think sometimes we give too much credit mm-hmm to the devil. I think we do. And Father Mike McDonough used to say that on, on EWTN. He says, you know, the devil can't do anything that God doesn't allow. And he's only a creature. That's right. You know, it's not, you know, because of sin, man doesn't need the devil's help to do evil. But to do any good in this world, we do need God's help. So any good that's done is done through the help of God. So we should glorify God. Whenever we see good done, praise the Lord. Give glory to God. 
Mary, one of the end of the gospel says, mm-hmm. the harvest is abundant, but the laborers are few. So ask the master of the harvest to send out laborers for his harvest. Wouldn't you apply that not just to religious, but to family life and to all of us to go out? We're all called to evangelize. Precisely, and that's what the commentary mentioned too. You know, by our baptism, all of us are called to live a holy life and promote the growth of the church and her continual sanctification. We're all called to participate in the evangelizing mission of the church. Mm -hmm. Now, people are called in different manners. Priests have their calling. Missionaries have their calling. The religious sisters have their calling. But lay people, too. We have an obligation to spread the gospel. The church has said in the Vatican II Council that we're to sanctify the temporal order. Right. So mom and dad, how do we sanctify the temporal order? By living out our duties in our state and life. Right. And by bringing Christ into, the lay people aren't, aren't supposed to be in the sanctuary. That's not our place. The, place, <laughs> the priest sanctifies the sanctuary. Yep. The lay people are supposed to sanctify the temporal order. The work, the home, first of all, the home, first of all, Okay. The workplace, the marketplace, the political arena, all of the, you know, the temple order, lay people, we're supposed to bring the presence of God into all of this. So especially we have to begin in our families. It's like Mother Teresa said, she said, go, people would come, you know, to Calcutta and they'd, and she'd say, you need to go home and serve the poor in your own family, Mm -hmm. in your own neighborhood, in your own city. They're there. You need to serve them. And, And oftentimes, you know, remember the devil hates the family because the family was made in God's image. You know, it's not that God is male and female. He's not. God is God. God is, he's a pure, he's pure spirit. He's not male or female. But when he did become man, he became a man, male. Okay. But the family was created in the image of God. So both male and female are created in God's image. And so the family images the inner life of the Trinity, the father, the son, and the love that is between them, the Holy Spirit. So we have that. We have you know, the father of a family. We have the heart of the family is the mother, the love, and, and the child. It always, the child always is the face of Christ to the father. Our Lady of Fatima's message, Saint, Saint Sister Saint, uh, Lucia said, the final battle will be with the family. The family. And boy, we see that right now when I gave a statistic of how few families have mom and dad raising the kids. Right. And so we need to pray for that sanctification of the family. Amen. And we need to fa- pray that families, that husbands and wives will be faithful to their vows and that, yeah. you know, little children will be brought into the midst of a family, a loving, a man and a woman who have committed themselves to each other for life. And the deal is, that's how we spread the gospel. First of all, mm-hmm. by raising a family where God is the center of the family. Godly and every family. Yeah, godly family, where every individual person knows we're loved by God. Mm-hmm. And we're made to spread the love of God in the world. And then also, we're supposed to support our pastors, you know, the priests and the missionaries. We're supposed to give to the missions. We're supposed to support. We can't all go to the missions, especially if we have a family and small children, you know. But we need to support them with our prayers also, always. There's, you know what? I remember a missionary came once when I was at St. Amidius growing up, and he said, you can pray a Hail Mary for the missions every day. You know, that's a minimum. Yes, we can. And when we pray our rosary, you include priests and and missionaries, and, you know, um, all of this. We need to pray and incorporate all of this into our, our life as Christians and do our part in spreading the gospel by being faithful to the gospel. 
which means living according to the Ten Commandments. You know, it's interesting. Some people think, oh, the Ten Commandments, that was just God's way of restricting our freedom and making us unhappy and and putting chains on us and putting us in cages. No, actually, the Ten Commandments are the way that we find freedom. When we obey the Ten Commandments, we are free. It's when we sin that our freedom is restricted and we become slaves because we become slaves of sin. St. Pope John Paul II told us in 1979 about freedom. Yeah. It's doing the right thing. Exactly. Freedom is the ability to do what you were made to do. That's and right. the first thing we were made to do is to live in union with God. That's right. And then we were made to live in union with our brothers and sisters through service and through charity. So, yeah, freedom is doing the right thing. And that's when we don't do the right thing, when we sin, when we degrade others through sin, you know, all the different sins you can name, you know, lying, cheating, stealing, sins against the sixth and ninth commandment, the pornography, indecency, immodesty, abortion, contraception, the breakup of the marriage, divorce and remarriage, all of these things, they degrade the human person. Earlier in the show with the Terry and Jesse show, we talked about an examination of conscience. Well, just the last 30 seconds, you just did. Right. You, you talk, and so it's important for each of us including myself and Mary, before we go to bed at night to examine our day. Absolutely. And that's how we get better because if, if we're not examining our life, then we're just living a very fancy, uh, you know, we're just glorified life or whatever feels good, and that's not a God-centered life. It's not. And, and the, the saints, I believe, or maybe it was the spiritual writers, but they said the unexamined life is not worth living. You know who said that? Who said that? Many people, but even the fathers of this nature. Ben Franklin said that. Oh, okay. And and he wasn't a really godly man, but he saw not only uh, was it uh, a principle that the saints talked about, but in practicality, you can't get better if you're not striving to get better. Exactly. So you examine, what did I do well in work today? Yeah. What did I do poorly? Yeah. What can I do tomorrow to avoid that pitfall? This is common sense. Well, right. you know, common sense ain't that common. <laughs> so... We want to examine our lives and look at them and pray. By the way, Jesus did say, beg the master of the harvest. Mm-hmm. Are we begging God to send priestly and religious vocations? Are we begging God for holy marriages? I mean, literally begging him, fasting and sacrificing and praying and spending time before Jesus and the Blessed Sacrament, giving up entertainments in order to spend time with our Lord. And that's why on Thursday nights, I'll give it a plug, we spend a couple hours before the Blessed Sacrament at the Sacred Heart Chapel, you're welcome to come at 7 p.m. to pray for priests, bishops, the Holy Father, and for vocations. Amen. So I'd Amen. love to have you join my wife and I there on Thursday nights. If you can't join us physically, spiritually offer prayers for the priests. It's commemorating Holy Thursday. Right, right. The day, the institution of the Eucharist and the priesthood, which were instituted together, and the church has always right. taught that. Right. And And so, um, yes, we need to pray and You know, the harvest is out there. Um, Jesus preached the kingdom and the kingdom is the church on earth. And then, but he didn't preach a kingdom just for this earth. We're supposed to build the kingdom of God here on earth, but we don't have a finality in this world. Our finality is with God in heaven. So the kingdom of God on earth is passing away, but God's kingdom is not passing away. That's the kingdom of heaven. So that's where we want to be. Amen. Let's go to heaven. Amen. The Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful. If you have a question or comment on the Bible, you're welcome to call us at 888-526-2151. And thanks for all your support for Virgin Most Powerful, radio.org.
Call us at 877 This is Terry Barber reminding you there's a women's conference coming up September 7th, 2019 at the Sacred Heart Chapel. Mary Danielle Barber will be speaking along with Barbara Nicolosi. They're going to be talking about true femininity, be who you are. This is going to be for your daughters, your mothers. Every woman should be at this conference. And the way to do it is go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877-526-2151. selling your home or your business property this is terry barber real estate for life underwrites the terry and jesse show and they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world and when they receive their referral fee they will give 80 percent of it to a pro-life organization wow that's 80 percent real estate for life.org 877-LIFE-US-1 Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry. God bless you. I know James is trying to call in with a question on the Bible, so hopefully our technical problems will be resolved. But I want to just, before I bring it back to Mary, I want to just thank all the people. I'm calling our monthly donors for the summer, asking them for their prayers and their financial support. It's a little slow right now in our donations, and bills are coming in, and I just want to say if you are in a position to help us out, I'll give you my cell number. I do it all the time. Call me, 661 Nine seven two seven eight seven two. I'd be delighted to take your donation to help us through the summer months. A little summer slump. Hey, we've got James on the line. James, welcome to the to uh, the Bible with the Barbers. <laughs> Thanks for calling us after the Terry and Jesse show. Are you there, James? Yes, yes, Terry. Praise God. Hi, Mary. Hi. I had a question. You know, I was discussing earlier about. I was reading in the Book of Genesis where uh, uh, 
Joseph takes his son Ephraim and Manasseh, and he has his father, Joseph, whose name was changed to Israel, bless them. And he crosses his hands, and Joseph says, no, my father, bless the older first. And he says, no, I know, my son, I know. And he blesses Ephraim first, which is the youngest, and he says, you will be a nation and a company of nations. Then he blesses Manasseh, and he says, you will also be a great nation. So I'm trying to connect the dots, and I don't know if I'm right or if I'm wrong. You can correct me. But I'm looking at, is it possible, since other nations are mentioned, like Egypt, Sudan, uh, in the Bible, Assyria, could it be that those two individuals are the descendants of the United States and the British Empire? Because we see a lot of the curses in Ezekiel seems to pertain to us. And since we're going the way of abortion and and LGBT, and it's just a horrible things that are happening, I think God is not going to give us a path. I think somewhere down the line, we're going to be invaded by a foreign nation like the modern Assyrians. They're going to come into this country and take us down. Is that possible? You know, James, it is possible. I don't know. I can't answer the question about the historical lineage, but I can answer that on the spiritual basis. You know, it's interesting that when, when God's people were, went down into Egypt, um, when Jacob, during the famine, went down into Egypt with his family, God said that you will be there until the Canaanites have filled up the full cup of wrath. And the saints have said, God will only allow you so many mortal sins. And when you've used up your number of mortal sins, he will only allow you to do so much evil. And then that will be it. He will, he will pronounce judgment on you. And just like with, when the Israelites were unfaithful, God raised up people to chastise them. You know, and it, it, people are always oh, well, punishing them. Well, yeah, in a sense, he's punishing them, but it's not punishment like um, in the sense of uh, the way we think of it as revenge or, or oh, you're so awful. It's, it's, it's punishment to bring us back. You know, discipline. It's discipline. Every father, every son that a father loves, he disciplines. A father who doesn't discipline his son is lacking in a certain kind of love. The sons need discipline. And if they're not disciplined, they won't go the right way. And so, yes, God raises up nations to discipline his people. And our day is no different. You know, Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. There's no particular country. We've been extremely blessed in this country with a form of government that was founded on God and was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. And our founding fathers said that this experiment in self-governance will never work unless the people are godly. Why? Because it was an experiment in self-governance where everyone was answerable to God first. You know, all of our rights come from God first. And then the people are going to obey the Ten Commandments individually so they don't need a big government to stand over them to say, you have to do this. So I do believe that God will, in every day, raise up um, an instrument of chastisement for his people and it's interesting, you know, in the 20th century, communism was, was extremely um, evident to be a large instrument of chastisement. 26 million Christians were martyred in the 20th century, not just under the communists, though. I think that was the one that was in the news. In the later part of the 20th century, beginning especially in the 21st century, the century we're in now, it, be, it, it became evident that Islam is also chastising Christians and and it's not, that, it's not that the people who are dying martyrs are the biggest sinners. Remember that. You know, oftentimes it's the ones who are dying martyrs are the greatest saints, and they're gaining the grace for the rest of us sinners to repent. And, and absolutely, if we don't turn back to God, God will let our nation um, fall. And it's not so much as his punishment as so much as the, the logical consequences of our actions. 
when we turn, when we, you know, embrace a culture of death where we're living simply for our, the pleasure of the moment, um, we say that, that killing our children is going to solve all the problems of the world. So we have to use contraception and abortion, obviously, because obviously children are the cause of all the poverty and struggle and strife in the world. So we got to get rid of the children. And it's like, do, do we understand what we're doing? And so, yeah, I, I do believe that God will chastise his people. I think that if we go before Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament and do a lot of penance and beg the Lord, um, like it said in the gospel, beg the, the master of the harvest. The harvest is rich, mm. but are there laborers out there? And God wants the conversion, by the way, of the communists, the Freemasons, the Muslims, the, you know, the secular humanists, the atheists. He wants them all to be converted and live. He doesn't wish the death of the sinner. So does that help? <laughs> Yeah, Mary, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, what you're saying is it's quite sobering uh, should that happen. And, and I'm just concerned because I don't know the big leap, leapfrog jump, but I'm thinking in the book of Revelation, doesn't it say that somewhere that uh, that they cry out for those that have been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus Christ? Mm-hmm. And the people that do a lot of beheading are the uh, are jihadists. So I'm thinking uh, it looks like we're having a cancer that's eating us from the inside out. And uh, it's just quite, quite sobering. To hear that. Thank you, Mary. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it is sobering. And, and the reality is, you know, too many times we live as if we have a finality in this world. And we live as if what we're seeking is to have comfort and ease in this world. But that's not. Jesus Christ didn't come to be comfortable. He wasn't born in a palace, He was born in a stable. He was a refugee <laughs> before He was, a, you know, He was an infant. They had to flee to Egypt. And then he had to live in a foreign land as, as a refugee. And then he came back, and he, they didn't even go back to Bethlehem because still the angel warned Joseph that it wasn't safe for Jesus to grow up in the territory where Herod's son was ruling. So they went up to Nazareth. And so Jesus suffered all of this with us, and he knew heat and cold and hunger and thirst, and he fasted for 40 days out in the wilderness. Jesus shared our suffering. He bore our burdens. And on the cross, he took upon himself the punishment that was due to our sins. Sin is an offense against God. And I don't care how small the sin is. God is God and we are not. And every sin, even a venial sin, is infinitely offensive to God. And we could not pay the price for any sin that we've ever commit. But Jesus Christ paid that price. And it is a sobering thought. We really need to look at the cross and beg God to regain the joy of being able to suffer in union with Christ, because we've lost a lot of that. And um, it's not necessarily something people want to hear. You know, what do you mean suffering? I mean, Jesus came, he suffered. We don't have to suffer. Oh, yeah, well, you know, suffering is there. You're not going to remove it for life and from your life. It's just going to be there. And as Bishop Sheen said, our, our suffering, it's like a blank check, you know. Is our name going to be honored or is Jesus' name going to be honored? Are we going to unite all of our sufferings to Jesus Christ and thus, you know, fill up in our own flesh what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, the church? Colossians? First chapter 1. Or are we going to say, no, I don't have to suffer because Jesus suffered and so this isn't fair and I'm going to feel sorry for myself? It is sobering, James. You're right. Very sobering. It is sobering. Well, I want to thank you and Terry. I mean, I came to the Catholic Church last year, as I said, and uh, the only regret I have, as I told Terry, of becoming a Catholic is I wish I would have become a Catholic sooner. It is such a beautiful, beautiful uh, you know, religion. There's so much riches in Catholic Church. I just love it so much. Thank, thank you, you so James. much. Well, thank God you for you. calling, and, and welcome home, and God bless you. Yeah. Thank you, James, for your call and your question. 
You know, Danielle, I got to hear Danielle. When I hear James speak, he calls periodically, and we see him even at church. We see a man who's in love with Jesus Christ, and it makes me realize that we as Catholics, cradle Catholics, sometimes it takes a foreigner coming into our country, <laughs> you know, to say, wow, how great the country is. Well, in our church, sometimes I wonder about the cradle Catholics. Do we really appreciate what we have? But when you see a convert come in who sacrificed everything, tell us on a side note where you were Sunday talking about converts. On Sunday, I attended a baptism of a young woman who grew up as a Muslim. And she has discovered Jesus Christ in his church. And it was so beautiful. Now, for her to become Catholic means that she no longer has contact with her family of origin because they will not accept the fact that she's become a Christian and a Catholic. You can't do that. Wow. And, and for many Muslims, and there are many, there are many Muslims who are becoming Catholic, even in Muslim countries, predominantly Muslim countries, and many of them are doing it at the cost of their own life. So wake up, Catholics. Are we willing to sacrifice our life? Are we willing to sacrifice our family and our fortunes and our, all of our material beings in order to have, our material possessions, excuse me, in order to have the surpassing knowledge of Jesus Christ? And as Father said in the baptism, he said, you have come into the light. Christ is the light. And now she is a member of Christ. She's been baptized into the body of Christ, and she is now united to Jesus Christ and his church. And it's so beautiful. And I just, I was reflecting as I was there. I thought, this young woman has made tremendous sacrifice. That's right. I didn't, I was born into a Catholic family. I didn't have to risk losing my family and, and have my father say, you can never come home again and you can never speak to me again if you do this. No, I, and yet there are people who are doing this for Christ. And do we as Christians, are we willing to turn off our entertainment for an hour in order to spend an hour with Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament? Are we willing to turn off the radio and the television on Sunday morning or the computer or whatever in order to get to Mass 10 minutes early and stay 15 minutes after to thank Jesus? We need to really examine. Are we really sacrificing for our faith? Or are we just taking it all for granted that it's always going to be here? You know, Jesus Christ never said that the, the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against the church in a particular country. Right. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, his church. He only founded one church. That's right. The young lady that my wife went to her baptism, I did interview her about a month ago. It's on our website or on the iPhone app, our Android app. And it's just about, you can look at the title, it says, you know, conversion Muslim to Catholic. It's a beautiful testimony of her coming into the church. So you can hear that on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. I know, Mary, the Acts <laughs> of the Apostles is what we're doing the Bible study, so I got you a little sidetracked. So when we come back from the break, so let's get right into the Acts, chapter 9. And I just want to also thank our listeners. Amen. Because you know what? Without them, it's a year and a half we've had Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You've been supporting us. We're growing with our reach with more more of stations picking up our our shows and it's all because of the grace of God and your financial and spiritual support that you've helped us be at be where we are today thank you so I just want to thank you personally Amen. individually for your support if you haven't had a chance to make a donation go to virgin most powerful radio.org or call us at the office we've got people here 877 526 2151 when we come back 
Bible with the Barbers, the Acts of the Apostles. It's exciting. The early church in action. Amen. Don't turn that dial. Get another cup of coffee, though. We'll be right back. Terry Barber reminding you, there's a women's conference coming up September 7th, 2019 at the Sacred Heart Chapel. Mary Danielle Barber will be speaking along with Barbara Nicolosi. They're going to be talking about true femininity, be who you are. This is going to be for your daughters, your mothers. Every woman should be at this conference. And the way to do it is go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877-526-2151. selling your home or your business property this is terry barber real estate for life underwrites the terry and jesse show and they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world and when they receive their referral fee they will give 80 percent of it to a pro-life organization wow that's 80 percent realestateforlife.org 877-LIFE-US-1 This is Jesse Romero. You're listening to Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Well, welcome back here. Terry stepped out for just a minute. So last week we were talking about the beginning of Acts chapter 9 and and Paul's conversion. And after Paul, um, you know, we mentioned that the fact that Jesus says to him, Paul, Paul, only Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, um, and Saul says, well, who are you, Lord? <laughs> and Jesus identifies himself with his followers. He identifies himself. If you persecute someone, you're persecuting Christ. Whatever you do to the least of my brothers, you do to me. We need to remember that. We talked about that last week. So then Paul is brought into Damascus. And he, for three days, he's without sight. And he doesn't eat anything or drink anything. He's fasting and he's praying. Paul is a man of God, and he wants to do what the Lord wants. And, and he's had an encounter that he knows this is, you know, m- much different than what he's had before. And he needs, to, he needs to take a look at this and pray and be prepared for what it is that God's asking him to do. And then Jesus appears to a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And I love this dialogue. You know, 
Jesus calls Ananias, here I am, Lord, whatever you want. And so Jesus tells him, I want you to go to the street called Straight, and I want you to find a certain Saul of Tarsus, and I want you to baptize him. And right away, Ananias is, and don't we do this? I just love this story because it's like, don't we do this to God? Wait a minute, Lord, I know who this, don't you know who this guy is? This is the man who came here with letters from the, from the, the, the leaders in Jerusalem to arrest everyone who's following you. It's like, Ananias, do you think God doesn't know that already? <laughs> but don't we do this? You know, it's like, wait a minute, Lord, you can't really mean me to go over there and, and forgive that guy who did that to me. You can't really mean me to, to, to go out there and, and, and smile at the homeless people or be kind to them. You can't really mean for me to, to, to pray for the conversion of uh, the Muslims and the, and the communists and the, the people who are stealing and cheating and lying. And, oh, what about me? You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's like, Father William likes to point this out to us. He said, you know, we'd like God to come and take all the bad guys out. There's only one problem with that. If God comes and takes all the bad guys out, who's going to be left? we're all sinners. It's like Bishop Sheen had to talk to the prisoners one time. And he, he's like, how am I going to break the ice? What can I say to these men? So he gets up there on the stage before all this, this auditorium full of prisoners. And he says, well, gentlemen, there's only one difference between you and I, you got caught. I didn't. We're all sinners. And that's the reality. We are all sinners and we're all capable of committing the worst crime possible because we have a wounded human nature without God's grace and God restraining us from evil we would be committing the kind of evil that we abhor. Paul says it in one of his letters, you know, the good that I want to do, I don't good, and the evil I don't want to do, I do. What, what's wrong with me? What's, well, I need God's grace. I need his mercy. And so Ananias is going to instruct the Lord here, Lord, let me, let me fill you in here who this guy is. He's come here to arrest everybody who's following you. <laughs> Jesus is like, Ananias, I know. I know who he is, and he's my chosen instrument. And this is God's ways. Let's marvel at God's ways. Who does God choose to bring the, the, the gospel to the Gentiles? Now, granted, Peter was first sent to Cornelius. Mm-hmm. The first Gentile convert comes through Peter, the first pope. But in a very special way, Paul has been chosen to take the gospel beyond the Jews and to the Gentiles. So God has chosen him. And God tells Ananias, I have made it clear to Paul how much he's going to have to suffer on my behalf. So Paul isn't going into this blind. The Lord has let him know you're going to suffer. And this is the reality of what we are before Christ. We, if we want to be like Christ, we have to look like him. So we offer all of our sufferings in union with him. Mary, I'm listening to you and I'm Mm -hmm. thinking today in our church, there's uh, some, an emphasis on being a sinner has not really been portrayed well enough. I think some of us think we're immaculately conceived <laughs> and, and really don't have an issue with um, sin. And so I, I share this because uh, we want to encourage all of our listeners to have a healthy understanding of sin and to go to confession on a regular basis. Absolutely. Pope John Paul II, St. John Paul II, when he was um, very early on in his pontificate, he, he wrote this prayer. Return to us, O Lord, a sense of sin and the sensitivity of the saints. You know, Bishop Shane once said, we don't believe in the immaculate conception anymore because we all think we're immaculately conceived. Oops. Well, the reality is we're all sinners. Yeah. You know, with the exception of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And there, there are a few saints whom God did preserve from all sin. St. John de Berberf, um, when he examined his life, said, I, I have never committed a single 
even voluntary venial sin in my life. Wow. St. Therese of Lisieux never commit a mortal sin in her life. There are saints who have cooperated with God's grace where they haven't, you know, voluntarily separated themselves from God ever. But we're all sinners anyway. We all have original sin with the exception of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So we need God's grace and mercy. And you know what? We need to go to confession on a frequent and regular basis. And St. John Paul II kept telling us this during his pontificate. Go to confession on a frequent and regular basis. Go to confession on a frequent and regular basis. And that's once a month is what he defined as a frequent. Right. Someone asked him the question, what do you mean by frequent? And he said at least once a month. Yeah. Now he went almost every day. Mother Teresa went almost every day. You know, the saints, the saints go to confession more frequently because the closer you get to God, the more we realize how much we need to be purified of our attachments, our own ideas, mm. our own, you know, preconceived notions and our sins. We do commit sin. All of us commit sin. And if we don't see it, well, maybe you need to ask the Lord to help you see it. And that goes back to the examination of conscience. Exactly. And, you know, if you have like a Roman Missal or even just look at the Ten Commandments, if you say, well, how do I make an examination? I would even go to the Fathers of Mercy. They have a free download of a very thorough examination of conscience. Absolutely. You know, there's there's a lot of things in our world that we accept as normal that are very sinful. Mm -hmm. You know, going to movies where sin is glorified, you, that's a sin. We cannot watch pornography and indecency and immodesty. We can't watch violence that is violence for violence sake without sinning. The early Christians were told not to go to the Colosseum, not to go to the circus, because we're not here to be entertained by violence. Okay? In our world, it's like, well, divorce and remarriage. I mean, that's just the way it is. No, it's not. Jesus Christ St. Paul makes it clear to us that marriage is supposed to be an image of the relationship between Christ and his church. Jesus doesn't divorce himself from the church. No, Jesus gave up his life for the church. He suffered to purify the church. And so we as married couples want to make sacrifices. We have to give up our own will. I mean, it's, it's a constant give and take. It's a constant striving to grow in generosity and service. And this is what, when, when, when Paul came, you know, when, well, it, Paul, Saul, his name was, Jesus didn't change his name. His Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul was his Roman name. He was a Roman citizen because he was born in Tarsus. And by the fact that he was born in Tarsus, he had the privilege of being a citizen of Rome. Because that was one of the areas that was the Roman territory that gave you the privilege of being a Roman citizen just by being born there. It's like uh, if you're born in the United States of America, you're an American citizen. So if you can prove you were born here in the United States and you're a citizen, so Jesus makes it clear to him that he's going to have to suffer. He will spread the gospel, but he's going to have to suffer with Christ and in union with Christ. And again, you know, Jesus didn't come to eradicate human suffering. He came to fill it with his presence. And he didn't come to take away all human suffering. It's not, you know, we're not going to have an easy life. That's just life. We, we live in a world where it's not God's perfect paradise. It's the paradise that we chose because we chose to sin. So we turned away from God, and we have to turn back to him every day, every moment of every day. That's what living in the presence of God is, that constant practice of the presence of God, being aware of the fact that God is always conscious of us and always you know, aware of us and thinking of us at all the time. So we need to strive to do the same in return, 
to be present to God and to try to do his will, not our will. So we want to give up our will. And the first thing we want to give up, of course, is sin. Well said. I want to just make a, a comment about something that's coming up that will help people live closer to Jesus. And that's the Women's Conference coming up on the 7th of September. It's coming quickly. Yeah. And we want to uh, share with you, Barbara Nicolosi will be there. I've got some special guests coming that are have p- personal testimonies. It's going to be a wonderful day for women. I'm going to be the master of ceremonies. Uh, there'll be a few of us guys cleaning up after you ladies uh, from the conference, but uh, we'll be setting up chairs for you and things like that. But Mary Danielle, can you tell our listeners uh, what you're going to be speaking on? And basically, I want to encourage you just to sign up by either calling 877-526-2151 or going to uh, org. And you can register online, but share a little bit about what you're going to be covering. Well, I want to talk about our Blessed Mother as the model of all femininity mm-hmm. and and also tie that in somewhat to the, the, old, the women of the Old Testament who prefigured Our Lady. There were great women in the Old Testament who were prefigurements of Our Lady. Beautiful. Yeah. Deborah, Ruth, mm-hmm. Esther, mm-hmm. Judith, very strong, mm-hmm. godly women who prayed. Yeah. They prayed and fasted. They didn't. And they asked the Lord, what is it you want me to do? That was their their emphasis, and so um, and then the second talk I want to give is on um, there's a there's a encyclical that was written by Pope Saint John Paul II, um, Mulieris Dignitatis, the dignity and vocation of women. Oh, that was in the mid eighties, wasn't yes, it? Yes, yeah, yeah. beautiful, beautiful. Where he talks about what it means to be a woman and what oh. is the feminine genius, what is the gift that women give to the world. And with that, you know, it's, it's like that. When we get it all mixed up and we get men and women confused and we think we're just some kind of a... Unisex. Androgynous yeah. unisex. Yeah. We lose the gift that we are to one another. Well said. And and we lose that ability to collaborate that God made in us. Where he made us to collaborate with one another. So I want to discuss those things. Well, and I know Barbara Nicolosi is going to have some things about prayer. Yes. And it's just going to be a great weekend. And... If you recall, a month ago, we had a men's conference and we had a packed church. And I want you women now to join us. And dad, uh, you know, your wife, give her a a birthday gift and give her the gift to come to the women's conference. And you can write this number down, dad, and say, honey, here's your gift. I want you to go this Saturday on the 7th of September to a women's conference and come back uh, fired up about your faith. Yeah. So what you do is you go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org you sign up online or if you just prefer to call in take call us and we're here to take your registration call us at 877-526-2151 I'll repeat that number 877-526-2151 when we come back we'll have more with the Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio Barber reminding you, there's a women's conference coming up September 7th, 2019 at the Sacred Heart Chapel. Mary Danielle Barber will be speaking along with Barbara Nicolosi. They're going to be talking about true femininity, be who you are. 
This is going to be for your daughters, your mothers. Every woman should be at this conference. And the way to do it is go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877-526-2151. or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites the Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow! That's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US-1. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, welcome back here. So we have Saul has been um, converted, and Ananias is supposed to go and baptize him. And after Ananias tries to instruct the Lord here, the Lord <laughs> tells Ananias, calm down, I know what I'm doing, it's okay. And the Lord often has to tell us that too. Calm down. I know what I'm doing. Do we trust the Lord? Especially in times of crisis, do we trust the Lord? Do we trust that the Lord is still in charge of his church? Oftentimes in the church today, we hear so many things about all the bad stuff going on in the church, and we forget God's in charge of his church. Okay, nothing can happen that God doesn't allow, okay? And if he allows it, he will bring a greater good. But are we praying for the church? Are we sacrificing for our priests and bishops and the Holy Father? You know, if we're not going to follow the teachings that God gives us through good shepherds, he won't give us good shepherds. If we're going to defy the good shepherds and make fun of them and trample all over them, God will take them away. Remember Jesus said, if if the master of the vineyard comes and he doesn't find grapes, his, his, his tenants won't give him grapes, then he will take the vineyard away from those tenants and give it to, to other tenants who will give him grapes. So we need to make sure that we are you know, giving the Lord what is the Lord's due. So Ananias comes and he baptizes Saul. And he, first he says, Brother Saul, receive your sight. So he receives his sight and um, he says, The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came, he sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So in Jesus' name, Saul receives his sight. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's baptized. And then he takes food and he's strengthening. Now, he remains there in Damascus, <clears throat> And he, um, he's with the disciples, and he's preaching in the, the synagogue. 
But there are people who are still afraid of him. Wait a minute, this guy was persecuting the church. Are we sure that his conversion is real? So nonetheless, Saul continues to preach the gospel and he increases in strength and he, he's able to confound the Jews because he is a Jew. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees and he knows the Jewish scriptures. He knows, and of course the Lord has revealed to him. The Lord has given him the Holy Spirit. So he has a deeper, more perfect knowledge of all the Old Testament that he had read and known so well. Now he sees its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And so he's able to confound the Jews by showing them that Jesus is the Christ. And he proves it from scriptures. But the Jews in Damascus, because Saul is so articulate, they're, they're going to kill him. And they um, set someone to watch at the gates day and night so that they can capture him. So his disciples, they take him by night and they lower him over the wall in a basket. And um, Barnabas takes him to Jerusalem. And again, when he gets to Jerusalem, the people there are afraid. They're like, we know who this guy is. You know, it's the same like with Ananias. Wait a minute, Lord, we know who this guy is. You know? And there's still this fear. And they're not sure that his, his um, conversion is true. And yet he is preaching the Lord Jesus. And he's preaching boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. And, um, but, and he disputes with the, the Hellenists. And again, there are people who are seeking to kill him. It's, it's like, oh my goodness. <laughs> So Barnabas had brought him to Jerusalem. He introduces him to the apostles. He tells them that Paul was converted. And then Paul is speaking boldly in the name of Jesus. And what happens right away? There's this persecution. For those of us who think that, well, if I follow Jesus, everything is going to be nice in my life and I'm going to be happy and there's going to be no suffering and I'm not going to have any pain and I'm not going to have any contradiction or um, we need to go back and read the scripture again. Because that's not what the scriptures say. When Saul became a Christian, he didn't suddenly have no troubles in his life. (laughs) Here, just after becoming Christian in Damascus, it it appears from the Acts of the Apostles, within a few weeks, there's already someone trying to kill him because he is so articulate in presenting the faith and proving from the scriptures that Jesus Christ is the Lord and that Jesus is the Messiah, he is the Christ, that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, he's the Messiah, and he's also the Lord, that he is God, that God became man. And it's like, you remember, the Jews had to wrap their heads around this idea that, remember the Old Testament, God had to insist, I, the Lord, am one Lord. Well, yeah, because the ancient peoples all worship many gods. So he didn't reveal the Trinity until the Son of God becomes man. We only know that God is a Father, because God has a son, and his son has revealed him. You know, no one knows the father but the son and anyone to whom the son wishes to reveal him. No one knows the son but the father, but no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son wishes to reveal him. That's what Jesus said. So the fact that Jesus is the son of God, he reveals that God is father. He is our father, and he loves us as a father. And so the Trinity is revealed to us through Jesus Christ. And so Paul is is immediately suffering. Um, He's not, it's not going to be an easy road for him. So he's baptized in Damascus right away in Damascus. They have to sneak him out of town because people are trying to kill him. And now he goes to Jerusalem and Barnabas introduced him. Remember I told you earlier when we talked about Barnabas in chapter four, that he would come up later, Barnabas, the son of encouragement, he would be the one 
who believes that Paul's conversion is real. And so he brings him back to Jerusalem and says, yes, this is what happened. His conversion is real. He really has been converted. He really is a Christian. He's not here to persecute us. But again, as Paul spoke boldly in the name of Jesus, again, the Hellenists there in Jerusalem stir up a persecution and they're seeking to kill him. So when the brethren knew it, they brought him down to Caesarea and they sent him off to Tarsus. And it's interesting because Saul goes off to Tarsus and we're not going to hear about him again for a little bit, a few chapters here in the, in the Acts of the Apostles, or at least part of a chapter. <clears throat> and um, Saul goes off to Tarsus to pray. And Saul tells us that he received the gospel from the Lord Jesus Christ himself, that Jesus reveals the gospel to him. And it's been tradition that Saul spent three years in the desert there of Tarsus praying and fasting and mystically communing with the Lord, even as the apostles had communed with the Lord when Jesus walked on this earth before his resurrection. Now Paul, after the resurrection of Jesus, is communing with the Lord in the desert of Tarsus, and he's learning the gospel and what it's going to mean. And, and Jesus has warned him. You know, Jesus, Remember, when Jesus gives us a special mission, he's going to give us the grace and consolation that we need. Saul was going to suffer very much for the church and for Christ. And he needed great consolation in order to persevere in that. So when you're suffering, just remind the Lord and remind yourself, God is good. He loves you. And you're not suffering because you're being punished. You're suffering because God wants to purify us of all of our attachment to ourself, our own will, to our sins, and to the things of this world in order that we can serve God more perfectly. And we can be an instrument that he can work in and through us because it's God's work. He works in and through us to accomplish his purpose. And that's what we want. And so Saul will go off to the desert to pray for three years. <clears throat> and then we have a little, just a little um, couple verses here on the growth of the church. Or is it just one verse? It's actually just one verse. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it was multiplied. So now Saul... The persecutor of the church who had caused so much confusion and fear among the Christians has been converted by Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And now God is preparing him for his mission. And in the meantime, the church is being built up in peace. So then we have in um, chapter 9, verse 32, we have Peter's activity, activity here. And Peter came down with the saints that lived in Lydia. He came down to visit them in a place called Lydia. And he found a man named Ananias who had been bedridden for eight years. And so Peter says to him, Ananias, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And again, Peter doesn't heal this man in his own name. Jesus Christ heals you. Okay. Jesus Christ is the one. Jesus healed in his own name because Jesus is God. He is the Christ. But we heal in the name of Jesus. And it's only if God chooses us to be his instruments in that way. So um, they, they saw this, and they saw this man healed, and the people are just amazed, and so they turned to the Lord. Now, <clears throat> near Lydia, the city of Lydia, there's a place called Joppa. And in Joppa, there was a, um, a woman named Tabitha, and her name in Greek was Dorcas, which meant gazelle. And Tabitha was an extremely generous woman. And she was always serving people and she made clothing and garments for people. And she just was serving. 
She, she served, and that's what she did. And so she dies. And when she died, the disciples, knowing that um, Peter was in Lydia, they sent for him and said, please come. So Peter rose, and he goes off to, to Joppa, and the widows were there. He comes in, and the widows are standing around weeping, and they're showing him all the coats and garments that Dorcas had made while she was alive. So Peter puts them all down, and he kneels down, and he prays next to her bed, the, the, the bed on which the dead body is, is laying. And then he says to Tabitha, rise. And Tabitha opens her eyes, and she sits up. And Peter gives her his hand, and he lifts her up. And then he calls the saints and the widows, and he presents Tabitha to them alive. <laughs> She's been raised from the dead. So it becomes known throughout Joppa. And many come to believe in the Lord. These are the signs and wonders that accompanied. Remember? Um, when Peter and John were first persecuted, and remember their prayer where they prayed, Lord, give us boldness to speak your, your word and also pour out your spirit in signs and wonders. So remember, we don't put our faith in the signs and wonders. We put our faith in the God who works them. We don't put our faith in the things. We put our faith in God himself. We can confuse the gift with the giver, and we can begin to worship the gift and not worship the giver. So we want to beg God for the grace to always be worshiping God and be faithful to God. And that when God does a good work, we don't give the credit to man. The credit goes to God. Whenever a good is done, it is God who does the good. It's not man who gets the credit. It's God. So all the glory goes to God. All glory to God for all eternity, forever and forever, unto ages and ages unending. We praise the Lord our God. We are here to be a praise of God's glory, to glorify his name, to build up his kingdom and do his will. And that's what we want to do every day. We want to give up our sins. So go to confession on a frequent and regular basis so that we have the strength to, to give up our sins. Go to mass and communion every day if you can because that strengthens us against sin. It also unites us to Christ. Jesus gives himself to us as the food for our bodies and souls. And I hear that music. We're coming up to the end of the program for today. Hope to see you all again next week. We thank you for your support of Virgin Most Powerful financial and spiritual support. Please keep us in prayer. And um, please join us at the Women's Conference in September. We really look forward to it. We're going to have a great time. We hope you all come. Thank you so much for listening. And come again next week for Bible with the Barbers. St. Faustina's Prayer for Priests O my Jesus, I beg thee on behalf of the whole Church, grant it love and the light of thy Spirit, and give power to the words of priests, so that hardened hearts might be brought to repentance and return to thee, O Lord. Lord, give us holy priests. Thou thyself maintain them in holiness. O divine and great High Priest, may the power of thy mercy accompany them everywhere and protect them from the devil's traps and snares, which are continually being set for the souls of priests. May the power of thy mercy, O Lord, shatter and bring to naught all that might tarnish the sanctity of priests. For thou canst do all things.
Amen. Virgin Most Powerful, pray for us. Virgin Most Powerful Radio, sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.